Hi everyone and thanks for tuning in to All About Fertility podcast. I'm Ella and today I'm speaking with Sarah Jeffett, a family and surrogacy lawyer. Welcome Sarah and thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me Ella, I'm really excited to chat. Now, there's many ways of creating a family nowadays, and surrogacy is one that we just can't ignore. And I'd love it if you could just tell us a bit about yourself as a surrogacy lawyer. Sure. So I've been practicing family law for about 15 years, um, but in the last five years, kind of switched it up a bit and turned to surrogacy law, um, Mm -hmm. which was also around the time that I was looking at becoming a surrogate myself. Um, I'd been an egg donor, and before that I was an IVF mum. So as a surrogacy lawyer, it's kind of tied in with um, family law but a little bit different. Um, So my job is to help uh, teams, surrogacy teams, go through the process. I do the legal advice for the surrogate and her partner or Mm -hmm. for the intended parents. Um, And, yeah, it's amazing. It's kind of nice and a bit different from the regular family law with separated parents because Mm -hmm. I I deal with people that actually really like each other and want to make a baby together. So it's it's pretty cool. So it's creating families, which is fantastic. Um, Now, you said that you have been an egg donor. Yes. As well as having your own baby. So tell us about your your story then, because I feel like um, we have to hear your story before we get on to, you know, you being an egg donor and then a surrogate. So um, my big kid is actually about to turn 10. So if we wind back the clock more than 10 years ago, about 11, Mm -hmm. 12 years ago, my husband and I had been trying to have a baby for a while and it wasn't working in the usual way. So uh, we went off to the IVF clinic and had some tests done and uh, they said that we had some issues with male factor infertility. Mm -hmm. So we um, eventually did an IVF cycle and I produced quite a lot of eggs, I guess. I was probably (laughs) in my late 20s and, you know, it wasn't unexpected that I had a number of eggs that were going to be fertile. So Um, how many were they? Um, We did one IVF cycle and I got 18 eggs and that was when they had actually... Yeah, they pulled the cycle forward because I was actually looking like I might hyperstimulate. So we probably could have got more, but I was not feeling very well. Mm -hmm. Um, But 18 was a pretty big haul. And I remember driving home from the hospital with my husband and saying, well, that's our family. Like, we don't need to do this again. We've got the 18 eggs. This will be fine. (laughs) Um, And I think 15 of them fertilised, which was pretty good. And at the time, they froze uh, embryos a lot at day two. So all 15 were frozen at day two. Um, I didn't really know much about growing them to day five or day six. That that was pretty foreign to me. So then we started scheduling in embryo transfers. And unfortunately, you know, everyone thinks it all happened first time. It did not happen first time. It didn't Mm. happen second time or third time or fourth time. Um, So we had a pretty rough year. Uh, trying to use these embryos and actually fall pregnant and it didn't happen. And eventually after the sixth transfer failed, we decided with the specialist that we would uh, thaw out the remaining six embryos that were left. Mm -hmm. And even though we'd only been transferring one at a time, we'd lost a few in the thaw cycles. Mm -hmm. So for our last cycle, number seven, we thawed out uh, six day twos and got two of them to get to day five and then we transferred both of those we just thought last you know put all the eggs in one basket yeah um, and one of those embryos took and uh, so I had a um, healthy happy pregnancy and baby was born almost 10 years ago now Oh, beautiful yeah so that was um 
Well, that was rough. I mean, you know, mm. the, the pregnancy and the birth was very healing and lovely, but yeah. we'd gone through seven transfers and yeah. there was a lot of, um, you know, the infertility journey. But yeah. I guess along the way, recognising that whilst we were an infertile couple, I seemed to be fertile and the doctors talked to me as if I was fertile. The doctor kept saying, I'm very optimistic that we're going to get a baby for you, Sarah. And, mm -hmm. you know, I was a bit cynical about it, but I could see that the numbers were showing that I was pretty fertile. So I thought, well, you know, maybe one day I'd like to be an egg donor, sort of pay it forward. We've had some good luck and, mm -hmm. you know, if I can help somebody else, that would be pretty cool. Yeah. And then uh, when my little boy was almost two, my husband and I started talking about people that had more than one child and, you know, would we have another child? And we thought, oh, we're going to have to go back to IVF and mm. what does that look like? Do I really want to do that? And so we actually started budgeting for, you know, saving up for IVF and thought, well, while we're doing that, we should actually do what regular couples do and <laughs> try for a baby and see what happens. Yeah. And a month later I was pregnant. Um so that was, Gosh, <laughs> I'm amazing. one of those women. Nice. <laughs> um, and, you know, I laugh, I think I've always laughed about it. We still, there was a lot of time during the pregnancy where we would just look at each other and laugh. Like, how? how? Yeah. What? How yeah. did we, how am I pregnant after all of that? Oh. And, yeah, sort of, um, it's quite funny when people would say, if I'd, I would mention that number two wasn't IVF, does that mean I'm saying that he was an accident? No, no, he was very much planned, but he wasn't yeah. expected. <laughs> so, so did your yeah. husband do something different with his diet? Um, I don't think so. I do yeah. know um, he'd perhaps been living a cleaner life because we had a little boy. So there was, mm -hmm. you know, back in the day he'd been a smoker and he'd certainly quit that so that we could do IVF. Mm -hmm. But I don't know that he was doing anything different. I think, I don't know. Um, mm. Was there something going on where my body did just know what to do? That's what people would say. Oh, now that you're relaxed, you know, you, your body knows what it's doing. And I would say, ah, oh, wait a minute. It was actually male factor infertility. There was never any indication that there was anything wrong with me. Yeah. Um, so who knows? And, you know, like I do think about this, that we were never, I, I think a lot of couples are not infertile, they're subfertile. My husband still had sperm. It just wasn't good numbers and it was poor morphology and you know not good quality but there was always sperm there and I guess we only needed one sperm to meet one egg and that's what happened I and I always thought it only takes one is all very well when it took us seven transfers and all those embryos before but this was you know um, our seven-year-old he's now seven was our you know lucky one <laughs> so, yeah so when he was I think I was still breastfeeding him and thinking one day I'd like to be an egg donor I think we, we were talking very much in context of are we done are we done with two are we going to try for a third and what does that look like and when will we do it and I remember thinking I feel like I've still got this sort of fertility that I could use but I don't know that I want any more kids um, and egg donation is a nice way to go well I don't need to have more kids but I could help somebody else do that um, so I became an egg donor and found recipients online at uh, places like Egg Donation Australia. Right, okay. Was it as simple as putting your details up and then people contacting you? 
Um, a little bit like that. It's, I guess, just like with the other social media forums, you get to know people, you read their stories, they read your stories. Yep. Um, in the egg donation forums, it's generally that the, the recipients or the intended parents will put up their story and say, this is why we need an egg donor, this is who we are, you know, mm. this is what we do for a living and what our interests are. And then an egg donor might read that and go, well, that sounds interesting, maybe I'll start chatting to that person. Mm-hmm. And then there might be some, you know, private messages go back and forth. They also have things like picnics and dinners and coffee catch-ups so that people can try and meet in person as well. Mm. Um and so I thought a bit about, I, di- I did read a lot of profiles and stories from people and thinking, well, who, I, I really struggled with playing God, deciding that one person was going to get my eggs meant that one another person was not going to get my eggs. How did I make a decision about who deserving enough to get my eggs? As if I, you know, why should I get to make that decision? It seemed very strange. Um, and in fact, I did think about, the idea of anonymous donation. Could I just go to the clinic and say, just take my eggs and distribute them according to who needs them? Um, And in retrospect, I don't think that's a great idea in terms of um, what the child should know about their donor um, because, you know, I'm okay with there being like clinic recruited donation, which is what that is, but they don't do that with egg donation much in Australia. They do a little bit of that. Um, But egg donors... And recipients in Australia have to Mm. know each other essentially before they go to the clinic because the clinics don't do a lot of recruiting the way they do like the sperm donors, for example. So, and because they want your cycle to be matched up and they want to fertilise those eggs before they freeze them, you generally know who your recipients are before you turn up at the clinic. But I I did think Mm. it would just be so much easier if they could just take the eggs and I, you know, put my name down on the paperwork and that's the end of it. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I eventually decided that I had a few little criteria for who I would donate to that I wanted it to be a couple that were in Melbourne just because of convenience and that's where I am and that I think I wanted them to sort of had have good prospects of having a baby in that, um, you know, some people are, um, have their own chronic health conditions and I thought, well, I, I want to be sympathetic, but I also don't want to do IVF if it means that they actually can't get pregnant anyway. I want to, want these embryos to have the best chance and healthy parents. Yeah. So I yeah. chose a couple of Melbourne couples just to chat with and one of them I, I donated to fairly quickly and we went through IVF and mm-hmm. I was reminded how much I don't like doing IVF. Um, but they got good results. I think we got about 12 or 13 eggs and they made five embryos. And then a second couple shortly after that I met that actually only live about 15 minutes from me, um, they already had a, a, yeah, they had a child that they had also conceived through egg donation with a different donor. And we met and I felt like they, they seemed to think that I was interviewing them as if I was looking to make sure that they were good enough to receive my eggs. And again, I felt really uncomfortable with that. I was like, no, if, if you're it, um, um, it's not a right yeah, match. Well, no, I found, I found it really interesting that they were perhaps more anxious about seeking my approval. And I didn't feel like it was my job to give oh. them my approval in that. I kind of thought right. if you're going through this, I think you're probably good people. Um, yeah. Um, so I donated to them as well and they, we also got about 
12 or 13 eggs and they got five embryos. So um, if nothing but consistent. <laughs> um, and then <laughs> Sounds like that's your superpower. Went, <laughs> <laughs> um, and they actually went on to have an embryo transfer shortly after and uh, had a baby. Oh, so, fantastic. Yeah. So he's now about three and a half mm-hmm. and that's quite lovely. We, um, I'm like his godmother, I guess. Um, and oh, so you still keep yeah. in touch? Yeah. So we probably don't see each other as much as we would like. It's probably about four or five times a year, but they're not that far away. So it's very easy for me to go and visit them or vice versa. Um, and their little boy, he's a bit young, I guess, to really know who I am, but he will always know that he was donor conceived and that I'm part of his story. That's just going to be part of it. Um, and when he is ready, I guess, to spend more time with me or to ask me questions or to spend more time with my boys, then he'll have that opportunity. Whatever he needs really is available to him. Um, and, yeah, so that's that was quite lovely. But mm. I also found when I was going through that egg donation cycle that I was thinking, well, this is quite nice. I like that I'm able to help people, but I feel like I could do pregnancy again and I could do birth again. Yeah but I don't think I want another child. And how do I sort of, you know, reconcile that? Do I just move on and say, that's it, I've, I've done having children? Do I just keep donating to, you know, another five or six or seven people? Or do I just stop and, you know, give it mm. up? And there was a bit of a light bulb one day where I just thought, I remember reading about surrogacy and, and my first thought was, oh, no, I couldn't, I don't think I could carry a baby and then give it away. I could give my eggs um, but I, and maybe I could be a surrogate if it wasn't my egg, but I don't think I could give a baby away. And then I went, oh, wait a minute. If I've been looking to experience pregnancy and birth again and not raise a baby, isn't surrogacy what I'm looking for? And there was this total light bulb where everything just made sense. I was like, that's what I'm going to do. That's that's what I've been waiting for. I want to do this. So what did your husband say when you... <laughs> I think because I've come at him with a few funny ideas about, you know, things I want to do with my life. Um, And I remember him coming home and I think I probably chased him down the hallway going, I've decided I'm going to be a surrogate. And he just kind of stopped and went, yeah, okay, well, let's talk about it. As you do. You're probably thinking, what, yeah, what sort of crazy idea is she coming up with this time? Um, And at least with the egg donation, I could say, like he needed to be a part of that. He needed to come to the donor counselling. Yeah. So what did he what did he think that um, about that whole process? Um, I think if if anything, the impact on him was pretty minimal. Like it was inconvenient at worst. He had to sort of um, uh, he had to watch me with the needles. He probably had to deal with me and my moods. Um, he met the parents, the, the the people that I was donating to, but there was no real mm-hmm. impact. And, and as far as he was concerned, it was my body, my genetics. And I was like, yeah, but, uh, you know, right, these okay. babies will share genetics with our kids. Do we want to think about that? But he was like, but I, I don't have a right to tell you what to do with your body. It's not like you're using my genetics, you're using yours, and that's okay, whatever. You know, I'm supportive. Um, with surrogacy, though, it was a bit different because regardless of whose genetics it was, it was my body that was going to be pregnant, yeah, and going through the roller coaster that is surrogacy and coming out the other side, but also 
the relationships that we would have with the intended parents was not just me, it was going to be the whole family. Um, and what was the impact mm. going to be on our kids and on our relationship and on us as a family? That was more, he, he very much didn't just need to be supportive, he needed to be committed to it as well. Um, mm. So we did spend a lot of time talking about that and I would sort of, I was in some of the Facebook groups and I would raise issues with him that I had seen raised there and we would talk about it. And we talked a lot about, yeah. well, what did we want in intended parents? Who did we want to carry for? Did we have any ideas about the sort of people we wanted to um, enter an arrangement with? Um, and, like, we even had discussions about would it be a gay couple or a straight couple? Did we have a preference for where they lived? I think, again, I wanted them to be in Melbourne or at least in Victoria because of convenience and for having a close relationship yeah. where they could be nearby when we needed them to be during the pregnancy. Um, but we didn't have any particular preference for the sort of people that we would carry for. Right. Um, and then, yeah, that was kind of just went from there and we talked for a long time. So you mentioned that um, you looked at Facebook forums and um you know, issues came up. So what sort of issues would you discuss with your husband? So I think a lot of the stuff comes back to, and the, the sort of discussions I was watching were things where the surrogate might give birth and the, the intended parents would have the baby, but that their relationship would break down for whatever reason. And trying to work through why did the relationship break down and how can we avoid that happening for us? Um, some of it was about money because uh, surrogacy is altruistic in Australia. So working through, well, what what are the expenses that the intended parents are covering because they do need to cover things that are related to surrogacy or pregnancy or the birth and how do we make sure that they can do that and that they will do that. Um, and some of the arguments or the, the problems that I saw in other relationships was um, that sort of miscommunication about um finances or things that the surrogate needed that the intended parents didn't want to pay for, for example. Um, and then mm. other things like expectations about the relationship after the birth, how often would the surrogate see the baby and the intended parents and what was her role in their lives? Um, mm. Some things like, you know, how public are we on Facebook about this story? Do we sort of share with everyone that we're, we're having a baby through surrogacy or do we just keep it on the down low? And what does that mean for mm -hmm. her sharing the story with other people? Um, yeah, yeah, so it, it's, I mean, it's incredibly complex. Yeah, and also your children. How how did um, how do you explain to them that you know you're having a baby, yeah. but it's not, but it's not, it's not coming it, home. Yeah. Um. So I think way back with I guess the IVF telling our son that he was uh, conceived with IVF was just part of the story. I mean, he was still a little bit too small to understand exactly how that worked. But I did have a book. It was, I think it was called What Makes a Baby and it actually breaks it down to what makes a baby is an egg and a sperm and a uterus and some people have eggs and some people have sperm and some people have a uterus and not even talking about who are the parents in that particular book. It was just these are the ingredients essentially to make a baby. Mm. So we had already talked about that and then we also talked about what in the case of his, um, our bigger um, child's conception that it was daddy's sperm and it was mummy's egg and it was mummy's uterus, but we needed help at the IVF clinic. Mm. Um, and then understanding that he had a friend, for example, that has two mums and was donor conceived. And we talked about how some kids have two mums or some kids have two dads or some kids have a mum and a dad, but they need help like um, 
a sperm from another man or an egg from somebody else or whatever it might be. So they were kind of understanding that that was a thing yeah. and we did talk about it a little bit and we would look at the book and he would talk about the egg from mummy and the sperm from daddy. Mm. And then we talked about when I became an egg donor, we talked about the egg from mummy but the sperm from this other man and that the other woman would be carrying the baby and it wasn't me that was carrying the baby but that so that wasn't a sibling for them but that there was a connection there because yeah. they these babies came from mummy's eggs. Yeah. So there was that and then surrogacy kind of grew from there and, in fact, my my big kid said to me, he must have only been about five, and he said, he was asking about his friend who had um, two mums and he said, well, where's where's his dad? And I said, I remember that he's got a donor and he has two mums. Mm-hmm. And I said, and sometimes kids have two dads and he laughed and mm-hmm. said, well, how do they make a baby? <laughs> so I said, <laughs> well... Actually, sometimes it would be a, a person like mummy who might carry the baby for them, but it would be their baby and the baby would go home with them. And he was like, yep, okay, that sounds fine. Yeah. Um, mm. So it became an ongoing conversation because our little our little one was probably only about three and a half or four then. Mm. So there was an ongoing conversation that kind of grew from there about the intended parents who they had met and they'd spent time with that they would like to have a baby and mummy might carry a baby for them. What do you think about that? And I'm like, yeah, that's fine. Mm. Um, And then got kind of excited about it. And then when uh, I was actually pregnant, we just told them, we just said, remember, we've talked about mummy having a baby for these intended parents, our friends. Mm. Mummy's going to have a baby and you'll see mummy's belly growing big. And that all, it just was kind of natural conversation. In some ways it was, similar to conversations we would have had if I was pregnant with their sibling Mm -hmm. to say, mummy can't pick up your toys because she's pregnant. Mm. And then you can talk to the baby in the belly and the belly, you know, the baby's kicking and you can feel the kicks. Mm. But the extension of that was, and this is not our baby, this is a baby that's going home with the intended parents. Mm. And we can give the baby cuddles and we can visit the baby and, you know, you get to see the baby with the parents. And Mm. I think my big kid even contributed name suggestions, which were completely atrocious, (laughs) (laughs) Um, that they might name the baby all these weird names that he came up with. they were just kind of part of the process yeah, and they just cute. saw the intended parents as yeah, part of the family that they were going to have the baby and take the baby home with them and that was fine. This is just blowing my mind. <laughs> so, as, <laughs> so you going through the whole process firsthand and, you know, you've been a lawyer, so you clearly understand the legal implications and but also yeah. understands the whole, you know, roller coaster, which means that you're actually mm. able to service your clients in every single aspect and wear different hats so you're the counsellor lawyer friend coach (laughs) sometimes I do have to remind people that I'm not actually qualified as a counsellor and I need to refer them on to a counsellor but I do do a bit of that sort of relationship I I guess I can imagine yeah um and even today for example I had a message from a surrogate who is a client and she was saying I just want to debrief with you about something that's come up with my intended parents. And none of the the stuff that we talked about was related to the legal process. It was just relationship stuff. Right. So, of course, I'm happy to talk about it, not just from my own experience, but from my learning from surrogacy counsellors and from the process about what she might be going through in this relationship challenge that they've met and how I can support them as a team, which has nothing to do with me being their lawyer. Um, and actually it's that stuff that I enjoy the most. When I do a legal consult with intended parents or a surrogate, mm. I talk them through the legal process and the legal consequences of what they're doing, 
but there's a good chunk of the time where I talk about the relationship stuff right. and my learnings to support them to actually have a good journey, not just get through the legal process, but to actually get through and still survive emotionally yeah. um, and have a good relationship at the end of it. That's probably more rewarding than the legal process ever will be. When a client books in with you, have they already uh, found a surrogate and they've started the process? Um, there's a little bit of both. I, uh, If they have a surrogate already in Australia, and that can be a challenge in itself, finding somebody, then uh, the legal process starts then with they, they do counselling um, and that differs a little bit from each state because sometimes it's at the clinic and sometimes it's through a private counsellor. And then they get legal advice and then we start writing up an agreement. So they're sometimes their first contact with me is actually that legal advice session. But separately to that, I have lots of people contact me and say, we need a surrogate. We don't even know where to start. Can we make an appointment with you to talk through the process? So that's part of what I do is talking to them about the laws and how they apply to their particular arrangement because the laws are different in each state. Um, and also separately to that is talking to people who say, we need to go through surrogacy, but we're thinking about going overseas yeah. because there's different markets for surrogacy in other countries and they want to talk about those options and what's the process for going through another country and then bringing their baby back to Australia. Yeah. So there's there's kind of three ways that I end up interacting with people as a lawyer. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, so it's quite diverse in that way but it's, it's I mean, it's fascinating. I love it. Yeah. But it's, it's such a breadth of people that are actually engaging in surrogacy, whether they're surrogates or intended parents, whether they're going overseas or here in Australia. And would, what would you say? Would you say that your clients are more overseas or Australian-based? Um, most of my arrangements now are uh, domestic surrogacy. Um, and, in fact, I've almost entirely moved away from the regular family law with separation uh, separated couples. So in the space of a few years, I've gone from mostly family law with a bit of surrogacy to entirely surrogacy arrangements and a little bit of donor agreements as well. So um, mm-hmm. donor arrangements with sperm or egg donors. Um, that's so, known, um, that's, they're known to yeah, each other. Yes. Um, and they're a bit different, as you can imagine, a sperm donor agreement that's done with home insemination is going to be different to something. You, you don't need an agreement if you go through a clinic with a um, clinic recruited mm. donor, for example. Um, yeah, of so, yeah, but that's my entire practice is not family law, it's family creation law. Um, and the majority of my surrogacy arrangements are domestic surrogacy. Let's talk about the overseas surrogacy because that's yep. more um complicated because obviously um, in Australia it's not legal and it's commercial overseas so there is a payment. um... Um, So different countries have different arrangements. Um, In The US is probably the biggest market I guess for commercial surrogacy Um, and Mm. so commercial being that she doesn't just get her expenses paid but she also receives a fee in exchange for carrying somebody's baby. Um, So that's commercial surrogacy is illegal across Australia. So we within Australia, we only do altruistic surrogacy, but that doesn't stop everyone in Australia from going overseas to engage in commercial surrogacy in another country. However, there are, this is how complicated it gets, that each state is different. So some states actually make it illegal not only to do commercial surrogacy within their own state, but also it's illegal to go overseas and engage in commercial surrogacy. So that makes it extra complicated. And then there's other countries like Canada, for example, that actually has another altruistic surrogacy model. So some, quite a few Australians go to America, quite a few go to Canada and engage in um, altruistic surrogacy arrangements. And then there's other people that go to the Ukraine 
which again is yes. commercial surrogacy, but it's only open to um, heterosexual couples. Um, and there's some people that might go to uh, Mexico or Colombia or uh, Georgia. So there's a, and there's a few others that crop up now and again. Um, you know, mm. so many people will remember that we used to have surrogacy arrangements in India and Thailand, and those borders are pretty much yeah. closed now to um, internationals. So it kind of, yeah. it's a moving feast. America and Canada are probably the most stable in terms of have always done it and will probably continue to do it. Other countries, it changes, you know, from year to year really and depending on what's happening in those countries. Um, but if you're an Australian intended parent thinking we need to go overseas, then you mm. would be looking at uh, the US for commercial surrogacy, Canada for altruistic surrogacy and perhaps the Ukraine or Georgia or Mexico. Mm. And if it's illegal to go overseas um, to do a commercial, how are they getting their baby back into the country? That's a good question. Um, so <laughs> it's it's probably something that people should get legal advice on. So, for example, if you live mm -hmm. in New South Wales or Queensland or the ACT, it's illegal to do commercial surrogacy even if it's overseas. So you're, it's illegal to enter into a commercial surrogacy agreement even though in the country that you might be going to, it's actually illegal in that country, it's illegal for you to do it. So in that regard, I say you should get legal advice before you do that. And what we also know is that there are people that are doing it and they're coming back and there haven't been any prosecutions when they get back. Um, there have been some some issues with people coming back, but mostly it's it's that they, they come back through the borders, they apply for Australian citizenship for their child if they qualify, and then they go about mm -hmm. their lives just like everyone else that's had a child, whether it's through surrogacy in Australia or, you know, natural conception, their child is just like every other child. So yeah. it's kind of, it comes with a caveat. You need to get legal advice so you understand what you're getting yourself into and looking at those options and knowing what the processes are for getting in and out of the country. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, interesting. So I guess one of the parents then has to be an Australian citizen in yeah, order to get so passport. I have worked with people that are not Australian citizens, uh, but generally mm -hmm. my process is that I would be referring you to a migration agent to make sure that you're getting the right advice for getting the right documents in order. Um, and if you're both yeah. Australian citizens, that's pretty smooth. If only one of you is or if the, the person that's providing gametes who's got the genetic connection to the child is not an Australian mm. citizen, then it might be a bit more complicated. Um, so it can still happen, but that's where the migration agent comes in and, and fixes it all up for you. Yeah, yeah. So do you work with um, some of the legal team in, in just say, their states if someone is going through yeah. a commercial? Um, so what we do is um, generally I provide people with some advice about their options and the processes for overseas. I don't recommend anyone in particular. That's not my job as a lawyer. Um, but they'll, okay. they'll go off and they'll find an agency or a clinic to work with overseas and then they'll come back to me and say, we have a contract, we'd like you to review it and I'll go through it with them. Um, and they'll usually have a lawyer in their destination country that will do all the paperwork for them and they may not need an Australian lawyer to be heavily involved, but we talk about that because right. each arrangement is different and sometimes I'll do a contract review and other times they'll just rely on their lawyer in their destination country. So it does, it depends mm -hmm. on each situation about what's required and what they really need. Mm -hmm. Now, there is a shortage of egg donors in Australia, as we yeah. know. Um, what advice would you give to someone if they were thinking about being an egg donor? Oh, if you're thinking about being an egg donor, do it. Um, 
I would say, <laughs> I mean, it's it's amazing. Have a think about, I guess, what what sort of relationship you would like to have with the recipients um, and whether you've got criteria in mind about the sort of people that you would donate to. Like for me, it was just that they lived nearby that it was convenient, really. And then think about what sort of relationship you'd like with them and their child in the future. And we know, for example, in Australia that um, it's uh, there's no such thing as anonymous donation, although some people might still say that for clinic-recruited donors. But it's really that even if you have a donor that's not known to you, the child can still access information about the donor when they get older. So have a think as a donor yourself whether that's a relationship that you want to have and what what does that relationship look like? Are you going to be auntie? I'm a bit like an auntie to the donor-conceived child from me. Um, and also the surrogacy baby calls me auntie. Um, and that's mm-hmm. quite lovely. I don't have to do any parenting. That's quite nice. Um, yeah. But they can always contact me and have a relationship with me. Um, mm-hmm. But other donors will have less relationship. Some donors will have a really close relationship and, you know, they might babysit the child every week, that sort of thing. It really, there's... I guess it's there's as many different um, preferences and relationships as there are donors and recipients. You can mm. work it out together what that looks like, knowing that at some point the child will probably have a say about what that relationship is anyway when they get older. Um, mm. And then the next step I would say is think about joining some of the forums so that you can learn more about it. There's Egg Donation Australia is probably the, the most prolific one. And mm-hmm. that's a good resource for donors too to find out what to expect about how to find recipients, but also um, things like what to expect from the IVF process. If you haven't experienced that before, there's lots of resources to understand how IVF works and what to expect for the impact on your body and your family. Um, some of the clinics will even do some uh, counselling for you so that you can make the decision about whether being a donor is right for you. Um, in Victoria, we also have VARTA, which is V-A-R-T-A, and they will do counselling with the, somebody that's thinking about being a donor so that you can sort of explore what does it feel like to be a donor and what does it feel like, for example, when there's a baby born from your egg? How does that feel? Is that going to be more than you can handle? Is that going to be surprising? Um, and then, yeah, if you're ready, then put yourself out there and start reading profiles and get to know people and come along to a meetup to meet people. Um, yeah, because it's amazing. You get to help somebody else make a baby and you don't have to do all the night feeds and the nappy changes. Yeah, exactly. You can let somebody else do that. <laughs> but you get that joy of saying, I, I helped to do that. It, it feels, look, I didn't, for the egg donations, I never had to carry the baby and, and give birth to the baby, but I get to see these gorgeous little kids running around that somebody else is doing all the parenting, but I go, that's that's part of my legacy is that I helped to make that little person. Yeah, it's yeah. amazing. And equally, the um, person who's trying to find an egg donor, they can go onto the yes. same websites to, to find a donor. Yes. Um, so the thing about egg donation and finding an egg donor is that whilst a lot of the clinics will say, you won't find an egg donation a donor in Australia, you should just go overseas, or they might say, we've got some egg donors, but they're from overseas. Mm-hmm. My advice is that actually there are lots of egg donors in Australia and it's worth considering doing it within Australia with an Australian donor, mm-hmm. if you can. Mm-hmm. Um, and it might be that you look at your friends and family and, and see whether there's somebody that might donate to you. I know that's a big, big ask, but it might be something that... Um, your friends and family haven't thought about before and are willing to think about. Mm. And then Egg Donation Australia is really good because 
the the admin in there will actually support people to put their story out and to find their match. Yeah. And I understand that they do boast some pretty good stats. So they'll uh, from the time of somebody joining the Facebook group and putting their story up, they can usually find a donor within like three months. Oh wow! Which sounds like a long time, but I understand that some of the clinics will say if you know if you go on their wait list, you could be waiting upwards of two years. Yeah, exactly. So if I, I guess my advice is. Don't jump straight to going overseas for a donor. Have a look and, and think about having somebody in Australia mm. that, and, it, and put yourself out there and see what happens. If nothing happens, sure, maybe consider overseas, but think about doing it in Australia because it's altruistic. You only have to pay for her expenses and the IVF costs. Mm. Um, you don't have to pay her a fee on top of that or anything like that. But also you've got the opportunity then that your child's donor is local or least within Australia so that you can have a relationship with them and the child can have a relationship with them if they want one Um, and that you've always got that contact I guess there were some of the overseas clinics do it completely anonymously and that can make it a bit harder to for the child to have contact with them if they want to yeah yeah Yeah. and if someone was thinking about going down the surrogacy route Uh where would they start Um, so there's also uh, there's a Facebook group which is called the Australian Surrogacy Community on Facebook. It's probably got about 1,700 members, so they'll know the one when they find yep. it. But actually, if they have a look at my website, it's sarahjefford.com. There's a lot of blog posts there um, that explains the process. There's also like a downloadable handbook that they can download for free Excellent. and read through the, the information. Mm-hmm. Um, and also I have a podcast uh, called the Australian Surrogacy Podcast, which is where I talk to intended parents and surrogates about their experiences and they tell their stories. Mm. And I think that's pretty amazing. Lots of people really, they get a lot out of hearing other people's experiences, yeah, of course. not just from uh, their journeys within Australia, but for intended parents that have gone overseas as well. Mm. And yeah, have a listen, get to know it. They can always talk to me, give me a buzz and we can have a chat if they've got any questions about how to go about it. Um, and, yeah, do lots of reading and research and listening to other people's stories before you launch in because it is, it's a big journey thing. I, I'd say um, the child that I gave birth to is almost two and a half yeah. and it's been about five years of my life has been surrogacy related mm. and that's a big commitment from everyone. It's, it can be quite consuming, yeah. particularly when you're pregnant mm. or giving birth. Um, so be sure that that's what you and your family want to do and. Yeah, do lots of research and get to know other people that have done it, I think, is probably the best advice. Would you um, do surrogacy again? Um, I would do it all over again, like in a flash. I had such an amazing time, Mm. but I think my baby carrying days are done. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I would say there was a time that I would have just jumped up and said, let's do that again, I could go again. These days I think uh, it's not that I wouldn't, it's just that I think my family life has moved on and we're, you know, sort of ready for the next chapter. My kids are a bit older. I don't really want to be doing pregnancy over again. Never say never, but, you know, I'm, I've am i got a milestone birthday next year. We might just decide that there's no more babies. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Oh, well, Sarah, thank you so much for sharing um, your story and telling us about what you do. It's just been so enlightening. Um now, I will put all the details um, at the end of the podcast. So, every you know, someone needs to contact you. They've got your details as well as the yep. um, Facebook forums that you've suggested. So thank you Great. so much again. And, um, yeah, I look forward to speaking to you soon. Thanks, Ella. Have a good evening. Thank you. You too.